It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July nineteenth, two thousand and twelve. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Quinn. My father, Greg Quinn, is here as usual. Hello, Dad. Jacob, uh, thanks uh, for being here. Thanks for the opportunity. We're looking forward to. Being able to study with our friends on the internet tonight uh, about some Bible subjects. And we are glad that you're here, and we look forward to you joining in the discussion. This discussion works better if it is two way rather than you just listening to us. If you give us your feedback, you can do so in three ways. You can call 877 381 4567. That is toll free, and the line is open. You can email questions at collegeview.com, and if you're watching us live to the right of your video window, the chat room is open, and you can join in with guests there. If you are not logged in, and you are not logged in, if you show up as me, you must uh, log in, and then you will show up as a guest, and you can sign in and uh, chat with other listeners. No private information is required. As we talk about an interesting topic uh, tonight, and when you... The case is kind of a catch-all, Jacob. It's, well, it's uh, catchy. It, it's a wide-ranging topic. By the way, I was just looking. Uh, we conclude seven years of the virtual Bible study with this program tonight. It's amazing. Next week begins our eighth year yeah. of the virtual Bible study. So this is kind of a milestone program, the last uh, program in the seventh year. Seven times 52 is 360. 64. 64. But we missed one. We I missed think, one. So. On a technical problem. Yeah, we so didn't get it. We, we did it, but we didn't get it recorded. 363. Man, that's a lot of programs, a lot of Thursday nights. And 363 we got, hours. Wow. We have a lot of uh, uh, loyal listeners who've helped and participated in the program. Remember that the archive page of our website is a pretty good resource. Yeah. With that many topics out there, 363 topics. Uh, if you're if you're looking for an answer or wanting to study a subject, if you'll go there, we don't have we don't have an on-site search engine on our website, but you can do a real simple little thing in Windows. Control F opens up a window. Type in a word, and uh, you can probably find the topic on on our website. Here's some interesting math: uh, 363 hours worth of programming there. If you listened if you listen 24 hours a day, it'd take you six hours six days to get through it. If you listen eight hours a day, it would take you 45 days to wow. listen to all the, all the virtual Bible. So if you're just now starting to listen to the program, you might as well give up. You're not going to way behind. You're way yeah, behind. You're going to have trouble catching up. All right. But we don't expect you to. If you'll just stay with us and, and work with us on the current topic, we'll be pleased. We're glad for our live listeners. We're glad for our archive listeners. Of course, you can get the archives on our website. You can also subscribe to our podcast. There's a lot of ways to get the info that we're that we share on the virtual Bible study. And we should thank the elders here at the, con- at the College of Congregation for the, uh, allowing this uh, program to take place as well, and their support of that. Exactly right, and they've been very supportive of it, and it's, uh, they, they indicate a commitment to continue it, and that's our intention as well. So hopefully we'll have another uh, several years of the virtual and Bible And there's a, there's a lady at my house and a lady at your house that we should thank as well. For yeah, they lo- they, yeah, our wives don't see us on Thursday nights yeah. typically. Yeah. So we're appreciative so. of that. 
All and right. we're appreciative of all of our, uh, those who listen as well. And, and we've got some good engineers that run the board for us every week. Jeff's running the board this week. Jeff, yeah. we appreciate it. And uh, uh, we've got Anthony and Dan and Monty and others who join in and help on the virtual Bible study. Great helpers and uh, makes it all possible. And it's time for you to help as well as we talk about an interesting topic uh, tonight. All right. On the Internet this week, there's been a little bit of a buzz. It hasn't been a huge thing, but you may have seen uh, a reference to a, a blogger on the Internet. His name is Christian, I guess, Piat or Piat, P-I-A-T-T. Uh, Christian Piat, I guess, is or Piat is the way we're going to say that. He's a blogger on the Internet, and he got some notoriety this week because he started with what he called 10 cliches Christians should never use. Well, he got such a response, he did 10 more cliches Christians should never use, and then finally nine more after. So ultimately, he put out 29 cliche expressions that he says Christians should never use. Okay. And some of the pretty big-name news uh, media got a hold of that and really? made some reference to that. Yeah, I saw it on Glenn Beck's websites where I first mm. picked up on mm. it. And so... Uh, we thought that it'd be worthy to discuss that. Now that's a, that's a lot, 29 different expressions and the and the and the subject matter associated with those 29. We're not going to get them done today, tonight. What I thought we would do, Jacob, is try to cover the first half or so of these tonight, and the second half next uh, Thursday, Thursday night, night, Lord willing. That's a good idea. Now uh, I noticed in your update email that you noted uh, at the start of this that there's going to be some that we agree with. Yeah, some of the expressions we agree with we. But almost all of them, I think I would explain them differently. Okay. Some of them I disagree with totally. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, but some of them we might come close to agreement. But I, I think I want to word almost all of them differently than he did. And, but I agree that there are a lot of cliches that we shouldn't use. And in just in general, we ought to be careful about what we're saying. And if we're using a, sort of a catchphrase, a phrase that is used quite often, we ought to stop and think about what is it we're actually saying. So the, the whole idea and the... The concept behind it, I think we would agree with. Yeah, if a cliche just means sort of a meaningless expression used without thought, then, yeah, we need to be careful about all of that sort of thing. So uh, we just need to be careful with our words, make sure we mean what we say and say what we mean, and and, uh, so that there's not a misunderstanding, so that we don't misinform someone or don't or, or for that matter don't turn someone away from the truth all right and so we have 29 in front of us and uh, if we do half of them tonight i guess we'll do 14 or 15 yeah right. so let's just start out obviously we're not going to take time to read all 29 of them we'll just go one at a time we've got some responses already in by email yeah. uh we'd be more than uh, uh excited to receive your email we'll watch our inbox throughout the program you're going to have a little bit of trouble keeping up with us the best way to do it tonight probably is by phone call Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven toll free, or jump in the chat room and we'll try to keep a, a, a yeah, constant the, eye on the chat room because that's the, a little more rapid fire. The chat room is going to be rapid fire, and so you might be sending in your comments as we hit the one that you wanted to comment on uh, tonight. Yeah, we might start. Anthony just jumped in the chat room, and uh, his is sort of a good introduction of what we're going to be talking about. He said, "I think this blog, and we're looking at this blog from Christian Piat. He calls himself." Uh, I think the title of his blog is Father, Son, and Holy Heretic. So oh, he well, you've got an it, idea of what it's going to be. He sort of counts himself to be a heretic. In other yeah. words, he thinks he's sort of non-traditional, doesn't yeah. follow the, the party line, so to speak. Yeah. But Anthony says, I think this blog is an example of the sad state of, quote, instant journalism in this digital age. His thoughts are very rash and shallow, shallow intended just to stir things up. 
where is the serious reasoning and thoughtful commentary a casualty of the digital age? I think that's probably right on, Anthony. Uh, and I saw a, a general theme here was he, he, he sort of he cast off on everybody else as sort of being holier than thou and uh, quick to judgment and and uh, you know sort of put themselves on a higher plane. And the whole tone of his, uh, his yeah yeah he, was he, that. he criticizes he, people who would come across as being judgmental, and the whole of his is judgmental. Yeah yeah so you know a little bit uh, somewhat uh, hypocritical there. All right. Well, let's just jump into Here's the first one. He says, everything happens for a reason. That's the cliche. He said, we need to stop using that expression. I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago in Bible class, yes. Jacob, I said the same thing, that I think that that's a pretty yes. silly statement. Yes. And my wife thought that you would jump on that one, and she was right. Yeah. So here's what, here's what Christian Piat said. He said, I've heard this said more times than I care to. I'm not sure where it came from either, but it's definitely not in the Bible. The closest thing I can come up with is to everything there is a season, quoting from the Ecclesiastes. But that's not exactly the same. The fact is that faith, by definition, is not reasonable. I disagree with that. I do, too. Uh, He says, if it could be empirically verified with facts or by using the scientific method, it wouldn't be faith. It would be theory. No, it wouldn't be theory. It'd be fact. If you could prove it, it wouldn't be a theory. It'd be fact. But you can prove things in other ways besides empirical evidence. I I think he's way off base on that. Uh, I think faith is reasonable based yes. upon the evidence. Yes. Uh, it's as, in other words, you, you can't prove George Washington empirically either, but I believe that he was the first president of the United States. Exactly. Uh, he goes on, consider how such a pithy phrase, everything happens for a reason, sounds to someone who was raped. Do you really mean to tell them there's a reason that happened? Better to be quiet, listen, and if appropriate, mourn alongside them. But don't dismiss grief or tragedy with such a meaningless phrase. Okay, again, this sort of sets the tone for all these. I, I, I disagree with some of it. I disagree with almost all of his explanations and the words he uses to explain himself. I agree that this is a meaningless expression. Everything happens for a reason. The study that we had recently was in Romans chapter 8, and I think that's one of the passages that people like to go to to uh, uh, maybe come up with this weird idea everything happens for you romans chapter 8 verse 28 says we know that all things work together for good for them that love god to them who are called according to his purpose well some people want to take that all things work together for good to them that love the lord all things all things well everything's a thing uh I, I, in the in our bible class the other night i mentioned a, a dead armadillo by the side of the road that's a thing does that work out to my good because i love the lord all you know, no, in the context, Paul goes on to explain the all things he was talking about. He goes on to talk about the sacrificial death of Jesus, and the plan of God for our justification, forgiveness and redemption. Those are the things that were in mind in the context. Those are the all things that he had reference to. Uh, you know, if, if I fall down and break my arm, that it's hard to say how that is uh, affects something good for me. But it does in respect to what James says in James chapter two, 1, verses 2 and 3. And Anthony mentions this as well in his response. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work in patience. So those difficult things that happen to us can work out for good. Do they happen for a reason? Does God want them to happen in our lives? Uh, does he want you to break your arm? It would be sort of what uh, that phrase would lend itself to, to get the idea that would lend well, it to Well, really what you ought to say is, we need to react to everything in right. such a way that we are and become even more the kind of people God wants us to be. If, right. if, if my reaction to my broken arm, yes. in other words, 
that might help me learn patience right. and so forth. Right. Uh, but, you know, to say everything happens for a reason almost suggests that everything, that we're just pre-programmed right. robots, That's, that God has wound up the clock and just letting it run out. That's what Anthony says. He said, I think I agree with the author on this. Many things happen to us because of someone else's choices and or mistakes. I don't believe there is scriptural support for the notion that everything is mapped out or caused by God. However, we do have assurances that we can turn negatives into positives in our lives, James 1, 2, and 3, and et cetera. Right on, right on, Anthony. Uh, Ramona says, is he talking about predestination? I do believe that God has a reason for me to be here, but, of course, we're not predestined. We've talked about that topic. God does have a reason for us to be here. I I would, you know, not in the predestination sense of things, but he does want us to, to serve him and to love others, and that's why we're here. Uh, Chris in Atlanta says we should be careful using this phrase. He makes a valid point when he points out the insensitivity in saying this uh, this to someone who has experienced a tragedy. The fact is we live in a world that is evil and and sin has sin in it, and bad things happen. God is in control, but he does not plan out someone murdering another person. He allows it to happen because everyone, good or bad, has free will. Unfortunately, their free will many times hurts others. Yeah, right, Chris. And then Eric in Fayetteville, Tennessee, had, uh, sent in a link. He didn't have time to respond to all of them, but he's, he said this first one made him think of a link that he saw. This George Zimmerman, uh, who's been arrested in this Trayvon Martin mm-hmm. uh, killing in Florida, he was interviewed yesterday, and he said that it was part of God's plan that Trayvon Martin get killed that mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it got a pretty negative reaction, I think rightfully so. I mean, th- yeah. th- that... That's just sort of this idea that everything is pre-programmed. It happens for a reason. And, and I guess 78 taking a little bit different slant on this. Everything happens as a result of my decisions, whether good or bad, or the decisions of others. So in that extent, to that extent, it does happen for a reason. Because yeah. you the reason is I made a bad choice or a good choice. Uh, interesting. Yeah, okay. good point. All right, uh, real quick, let's grab one more here. If you died today, do you know where you'd spend the rest of eternity? That's the cliche. He says, Christians are known to say this or ask this question. If you died today, do you know where you would spend the rest of eternity? He says, the Christian Piat says, no, I don't, neither do you. So stop asking such a presumptuous question as this that implies you have some insider knowledge that the rest of us don't. And seriously, if your faith is entirely founded on the notion of eternal fire insurance, you're, you're not sharing testimony, you're peddling propaganda. Again, Pretty judgmental the way he comes Absolutely. across there, but I, I tend to agree, you know, that ultimately it's all in the hands of a, of a loving and just God who will be our eternal judge, and it is somewhat presumptuous to say that we have a handle on all that will be involved in the final judgment. Now we God has given us information whereby we can live our lives in hope of eternity in heaven, and and yet. All of us fall short of the perfection that that word identifies. And so, ultimately, if we're saved, it's going to be because of his grace and mercy. It's not going to be because we've earned it, and therefore we can say with some certainty, I, I have it, and it's mine, and it can't be taken from me. And, uh, you know, it, it's all a done deal. Ultimately, it's... It, whoever is saved is going to be saved by the mercy and grace of God. We're not any of us going to make it on merit. And therefore, it's somewhat presumptuous to say, I am absolutely 100% confident. Now, I believe that God wants us to have a confidence as Christians that we, should, that, that we shouldn't be just, you know, trembling in our boots, constantly worried that we're not what we need to be and that God's unhappy with us. If there are known things in my life 
that are not right, that would keep me out of heaven, I need to be changing them right now. Right. Uh, and, and, and we ought to be living every moment saying, I'm trying the best of my ability to be what God wants me to be. I fall short and I pray for God's forgiveness and I pick up and go again. But to say, I know it, I've, I, I, that, that I've got my ticket punched for heaven and there's nothing that can stop me from going is, I think, the, as, as he said, somewhat presumptuous. Anthony says this phrase probably isn't worded the best way, but I don't agree that we should minimize the importance of our eternal destination. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and these are motivating factors. However, implying that we are the judge and God uh, and not God is certainly bad form. So, again, Anthony would agree and disagree with uh, what has been said uh, there. Ramona says, yes, I do know where I would be. If I didn't, I would not have much faith. Uh, and... I- I think probably Ramona is expressing the idea of we should have confidence. confidence. Yes. And God wants us to have confidence. He wants us to feel good about our salvation. There's no doubt about this. And we have a response from Chris in Atlanta. He says uh, he is way off base. We can know our eternal fate. And he references John chapter f- 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, which says, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And that goes, that verse and others like it go to the idea that I think God wants us to feel confident in our our salvation. He's made everything available for us, and it's out there. We can have it, and we need to be, you know, living in that fashion. Uh, And so I think that's a fine line. And I I don't think there's a great value. I I would tend to agree with the blogger. I I don't think there's a great value in asking that question of people. I just think what we want to do is encourage everyone to live like God says to live so we can have that hope. All right. The guest 84 says, even Paul had faith he was going to heaven. Why can we not say the same? He references, or he or she references, for 2 Timothy chapter 4. Okay. Uh, Romans 8, verse 24, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Okay. Paul said we have the hope. But we ain't got it yet. Okay. And so you got to be careful how you say that because if you say, I know I've got heaven, then, as Paul said, that's not hope anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that would be uh, if, if you have it as a, a real possession, he says, what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for it? Yes, 84 poses the question, does not faith con- constitute us believing that we will go to heaven? Where is the fine line between accepting and saying we do not know? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I think there's a rather fine line between expressing confidence and expressing overconfidence. Uh, that's okay. Okay. But yeah. I, and, and I don't know. I don't know where. Why I would don't we go take on. a break and uh, give everyone a time to think about that? And uh, as we're taking the break, why don't you uh, give us a call? It's toll free, and you can uh, join in and weigh in on this topic. And uh, we've got several more to go as we look at uh, these cliches that uh, this blogger has said we should never use. Give us your thoughts in the chat room as well on this break. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. 
Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8, WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Here are some quotes worth pondering. Great works are performed not by strength but by perseverance. Act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. It's always too early to quit. Be always at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let each new year find you a better man. Benjamin Franklin said that. A worthy resolution to make and try always to keep is this, to rise above the little things. Man, I wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program tonight, welcoming you back. If you're just joining us, we're talking about uh, the blogger who has posed cliches that Christians should never use. The last cliche we talked about was the cliche, if you die today, do you know where you'd spend the rest of eternity? And still some chatting chatting going on that. I I think that's a judgment call kind of thing. Again, I I don't think it's really a great question to be discussing. We are to to have confidence, several of our... uh, Chat room participants have mentioned that. Dave says, if I die right now, I know I'm saved, but that's not to say that I can't be lost in the future. Guest 78 mentions, we sing the song, Blessed Assurance. There definitely is assurance in the Word of God for the Christian, and God wants us to have confidence. Uh, But we shouldn't be overconfident to to the point of complacency for sure. So, uh, Guest 84 says, I thought hope was an expectation. Uh, and then, and then, guest eighty-four mentioned Second Timothy four six or eight, where Paul said, "There is a crown of life laid up for me." Yeah. Paul spoke with great confidence there in the final words that he penned before his death. Okay, so good comments there. I right. appreciate uh, those. If you're not signed in the chat room, again, simple, no private or personal information is required. If you see yourself listed as me in the chat room tonight, you're not signed in. Follow the instructions at the bottom of the window. Hit sign in using chat roll. And you can just accept the guest name that it gives you, or you can give yourself a pin name, as have many in the chat room, and you're in, and you can chat and join in. And it doesn't have to be a long, well-thought-out uh, uh, comment, because uh, the blogger didn't have any really he didn't spend too much. Yeah, he didn't spend too much time <laughs> thinking out his answers. So. And, and we'll get feedback. I mean, say it, and if, if you know... We, we agree, we'll agree. If, it, if, if we, we think it could be worded differently, we'll do that, too. Uh, and that's what we're doing with this blog. Cliches Christians should never use. Number three. Uh, number three. He, he is in a better place. I don't use that cliche. I mean, people do that at funerals oh, yes. after someone dies. Yes. Okay, uh, here's what the blogger says. Christian Piat says, this may or may not be true. Again, we have no real way of knowing. We may believe it, but to speak with such authority about something we don't actually know is arrogant. Plus, focusing on the passing of a loved one minimizes the grief of the people they left behind. I, I would tend to pretty much agree with the way he said that. I, uh, we don't know. In other words, if I died tonight, Jacob, you don't know my life. I mean, you know a lot about my life. You've right. known me for all your life. Right. But there's there could be things about my life that I've hidden from you that right. you don't know. Right. 
and, and you might you might have comfort and consolation. You know, Paul in in First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, Paul said, "I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope." For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. We can have that hope. When a loved one who's a faithful Christian dies, we can have that hope. But there's always the possibility that there's some element of their life that we didn't know about that might cause them to be lost. And therefore, to say with confidence he's in a better place, we don't have a basis for making that statement. First Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 11 says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Uh, there's some things about uh, about us that no one will know, the, the, the uh, attitudes and uh, perspective and, and thoughts that we have. Yeah. People may never know those. How can you comment? That's right. Anthony says in email, somewhat agree with the author on this one. It's hard to say. Even the best, most dutiful Christian we know could have some horrible hidden sin in his or her life that will keep them out of heaven. So for us to assert that they're in a better place based purely upon our observations is probably not wise. I do especially cringe when this phrase is used for people who haven't obeyed the gospel in the first place. Overall, I agree with the notion that we humans cannot def- uh, cannot say definitely where another person will spend eternity. However, I do not agree with the notion that we can't be assured of our own salvation. That's yeah. spot on, Anthony. And Ramona in Texas says, My mother died uh, at age 84 last month, and she is in a better place. Well, I would have to say to Ramona, you, you have... Hope and confidence that she is, yes. if she was a faithful Christian. Yes. But you got to be careful about stating that emphatically. It may be that she had a sin in her life that she never dealt with and could be lost because of it. From your perspective, Ramona, it seemed that she was a faithful Christian and, and should be saved. But God is the final judge, and we're not. And we're not. Uh, we're not trying to say that she isn't. We're just uh, saying we're going to leave all these such decisions in the hands of God. Uh, Chris in Atlanta says he is correct on this one. I hear Christians say this often, and many times there is little doubt that the deceased never obeyed the gospel. I used to work in a funeral home and worked hundreds of funerals. At every funeral, it was said the deceased was in heaven. On a humorous note, when I worked in the funeral home, I would be the last one to let you down. Sorry, old funeral home joke. Oh, I get it. <laughs> last now. one to let you down. Yeah, all right. All right. I didn't know that about you, Chris. Interesting. Yeah, all right. Uh, in the chat room, guest 84 says a good Christian heart would reveal all things, but only God can truly judge our hearts. I think that's right. And so we need that one. I, 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 I would hope that we would never hear that again. I, right. I just don't think that's a, a, an expression. It's, it is clearly a cliche. You, you, because I've heard it used about people who lived horrible lives. Right. You know, this guy, he was a drunk. He beat his wife. You know, he, he, he cheated and lied yeah. and did everything bad and, and he got sick and he died. What, what happened? For the last two or three months of his life, he was suffering physical health yeah. issues and maybe pretty painful ones. And then he died. This guy was a horrible person. But someone said, well, he's in a better place. No, he's probably in a lot worse place. Right. You know, but we'll leave God to judge that. Yeah, Dave says, I do not say one is in a better place. Rather, I say he or she is in the hands of a loving and just God, and he will do what is right. Right you on. have great confidence exactly. in that. Thank exactly you, Dave. right. Okay. Let's move on quickly. We've got to keep moving if we're going to get these, Jacob. Number four, can I share a little bit about my faith with you? That's the cliche. Christian Piat says, too often Christians presume we have something everyone else needs without even knowing them first. Ask someone about their story, but maybe not the second you meet them. Christian evangelism often is the equivalent of a randy young teenager trying to get in good with his new girlfriend. 
When your personal agenda is more important than the humanity of the person you're talking to, most people can sense the opportunism from a mile away. I don't know. Again, he seems pretty judgmental in his expression. Uh, This is a cliche that I don't hear. Uh, I think probably we should do more talking about our faith, you know, that we should try to open up opportunities to tell people about what we believe. We probably don't do nearly enough that he's saying this is a cliche. People, Christians are doing it all the time and it's just worn out and it's driving people away. I think that we probably don't often enough ask people if we could talk about spiritual things. And I think that's more of what he's uh, condemning here, not necessarily the cliche, but the idea that you'd want to talk to someone about uh, what they believe and encourage them to believe as you do. Yeah. Uh, So, and and, and other comments he'll make here as we go along show that he does have a problem uh, with uh, uh, expecting others to believe as you believe. Yeah. Anthony says, I don't think this is a very tactful phrase. It, It just has a hokey sound to it. It also is odd because it's asking permission from someone. Most would respond no. But just because the wording is bad doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing what the question is implying. I mostly agree with the author's comment about this phrase after a quick scan. I, I think Anthony's right. I, I'm not going to use that phrase, but I'm, I'm, I am going to try to find every opportunity. Or I, Well, take that back. I can improve on that. I need to work harder at using every opportunity to talk to others about it. Right. Faith in Christ Jesus. Ramona has a one-word answer to this question, and I'm not sure I understand exactly where Roma's, Roma, Roma, Ramona is coming from. Uh, she says, can I share the, the expression, can I share a little bit of, about my faith with you? She responds, definitely. I don't know if she's saying, yes, you can, or yes, you should say that, or no, you shouldn't say that. I don't know. Um, Chris and Alana says, I feel this, uh, again, the cliche is, can I share a little bit about my faith with you? Chris says, I feel this is a legitimate phrase. He assumes we have an opportunistic agenda that can't be sensed by others, that can be sensed by others, and I just can't follow his logic on this. We are commanded to spread the gospel, and this would be a good way to broach the subject. I'm kind of with you, Chris. It seems to me, I mean, he's criticizing it, but I think we need to be looking, you know, have an eye out constantly for an opportunity. Uh, 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 The Apostle Paul uh, was constantly thinking of spiritual things and and talking about those with with everyone that he was in contact with. We've studied the life of Paul in the Book of Acts many times. Uh, he talked about uh, well, I was looking in Acts twenty where he's talking to the Ephesian elders how that he had, of course, I think he said three years. Uh, uh, verse thirty one, Acts twenty, verse thirty one. Watch therefore and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Yeah. He was constantly talking about those things. So right. We should be, too. Uh, Dave says, why not? Do we not want to share our faith in Christ with others? I agree we should do more. Mike says, if we don't share our faith when Jesus commanded it, are we really faithful? And uh, Jeff's behind the controls. Jeff, you send in a passage. First uh, Peter. Let's sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is within with meekness and in fear. Yeah. So be ready always, right, Jeff? Exactly right. Good good reference there. Yeah. Guest 84 asks what I don't know, because I noticed the expression too, Randy Young Teenager. I don't know what that means. Well, we'll take a break. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. 
Often when in discussions about religious subjects, someone will respond to an argument by saying, that's just your opinion. This typically indicates that the respondent does not have a good answer for the case that has just been presented, and they're trying to dismiss the force of the reasoning by simply labeling it as an opinion. Those who make this dismissive statement need to understand that it is their burden to prove that the matter under consideration is mere opinion. If there's no factual or real basis for the argument that has been made, then let them show this. But if they cannot, then the facts and the evidence must be accepted and acted upon. Unfortunately, this seldom happens. On the other hand, if a thing can be proven to be only human opinion, there remain several options. First, if you detect that someone is trying to bind their opinions on others or trying to equate their personal opinions with the actual truth of God's word, then this must be immediately and forcefully opposed. When some were trying to force their view on circumcision, Paul said, quote, We gave place by subjection, no not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Galatians 2 verse 5. We should do the same. Secondly, everyone who holds an opinion has a reason for doing so. If, as they explain their position, you become convinced that it's reasonable, even potentially helpful, you might decide to become of that same opinion. As long as no one elevates this to a matter of necessary doctrine, such opinions can and sometimes do serve a useful purpose. Finally, even if you are not persuaded of the other person's opinion, you can agree to dwell together peaceably if both you and he can agree that this properly belongs in the area of personal conviction. If no one is guilty of despising his brother, Romans 14, verse 3, then both parties can continue to share the positive benefits of fellowship. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight talking about some cliches that Christians should never use, according to one blogger, and we've found that uh, some of them he is correct on, some of them he's not. Yeah, and almost all of them he words in ways that need, right. need some polishing up, and in fact, that last one. Uh, we found out over the break probably has a vulgar phrase in it that we probably don't even want to talk about. Yeah. All right, the number five, let's move on. If you got our email update today, Jacob, uh, we had all 29 of these listed. We're going to try to cover the first half tonight. Lord willing, we'll look to the second half next week. So keep that email at the ready, and we'll probably be referencing it again next Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, we're at number five on that list if you've got it. Here's the fifth cliche he said Christians should never use. You should come to church with me on Sunday. Yeah, I sort of don't understand that one. Uh, uh, here's what he said. I would. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, it sort of it le- lends itself to the uh, misunderstanding that religion's all about going to church on Sunday. Baby, so here's what he said. It's not that we should never invite people to church, but too much of the time it's the first thing we do when we encounter someone new. My wife, Amy, and I started a new church eight years ago, founded on the principle of earning the right to invite. Invest in people first. Listen to their stories. Learn their passions, their longings. and Share the same about yourself. Then after you've actually invested in each other, try suggesting something not related to church to help you connect on a spiritual level. If the person really gets to know you and wants to know more about why you live your life the way you do, they'll make a point to find out. Then again, if you just come off as another opinionated, opportunistic Christian, why should they honor your predatory approach with a visit to the church that taught you how to act that way in the first place? Wow. The guy's pretty harsh. Yeah, he is. Got a uh, sharp tongue. But, you know, if, if I have someone that I have an opportunity to teach, they're probably things... I mean, I, I would love for them to attend worship services and Bible studies, but I'm not sure that that's the way I would 
that's not my first approach to try and teach the scripture. I'd like to just sit down and open the Bibles and talk about the Word of God. I think this uh, this uh, one being on the, the gentleman's list has Mike uh, scratching his head. He says, is that really something to take issue with? I, I think, Mike, it helps you have 10 if you're looking for another one here. Maybe that's what he was trying to fill out his list. Uh Anthony said, I think inviting someone to worship services is an excellent icebreaker. It's a take-it-or-leave-it type of uh, proposition. It's not high-pressure, one-on-one situation. Uh, however, I don't think that an unbeliever can simply be invited to worship, and magically they will want to become a Christian. There are, needs to be a personal element. But especially in our, our area of the country and in today's I'm okay, you're okay religious climate, folks may be pretty open to coming to your worship service. I do agree with the author's comments that we need to have a personal relationship with people in order to convert them, but there's nothing wrong with inviting someone to the assembly, even at a fairly early stage. So we yeah. appreciate those comments, Anthony. Yeah, I, I think Anthony's right. I mean, I, it, it's, I think it's, I, I don't see anything at all wrong with inviting someone to go to church with you. I don't think that likely that's going to be the, the, the sole determinant whether or not that person is ultimately converted to the Lord. It's going, gonna, to we're, 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 it's going to take more than just a, a, a visit or two to a worship service. We're going to have to sit down and really study with them about the Word of God. And uh, Ramona answers again definitely on this one. I think that Ramona would probably agree that this one would be okay to use. Yeah, and Chris says, again, I disagree with his logic. He is correct that we need to connect with others, but inviting them to church is a great way to break the ice. All right. Well, so I, I, I tend to agree. I don't I, see anything wrong with that. I think that. that's enough comment on that one. Yeah. All right, let's jump on. We got uh, what do we got? Just a little over twenty minutes left, and we've yeah. got we, we've done five. We got nine. Nice. We need to get at least nine, oh, eight, eight or nine yeah, more done. Good. So we got to hurry here. And number six on the list: Have you asked Jesus into your heart? That's the cliche. He says, "We." I hope we never use that anymore. He says. He says, "As many times as I've heard this, I still don't really know what it means. Why my heart? Why not my liver or kidneys?" That's that's a silly. That is silly. That, that's a silly criticism. Uninformed. Yeah. And we, we understand the heart is the seat of the yeah, intellect yeah. and the emotions. Yeah. Uh, this also makes Christianity sound like a purely emotional experience rather than a lifelong practice that can never entirely be realized. But yeah, asking someone if they've engaged in a lifelong discipline to orient their lives toward Christ-like compassion, love, and mercy doesn't exactly have the same ring to it. Uh, I don't use that expression. Uh, I'd have to define it if I was going to use it because I don't think it's biblical. I, I, I don't think that, that in the Bible if someone... In other words, I, I want to find out if you're a Christian or not. I want to find out if you're saved from your past sins. I want to know if you're in a right relationship with God. In the Bible, people ask, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. And the answer given to them was never... Ask Jesus into your heart. You can't find any reference to that anywhere in the New Testament. Yeah. Right, so it's a purely man-made doctrine and concept. Yeah, and it, 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 it really smacks of salvation by faith only. Well, Jeff just commented that on the, in the chat room. It does, uh, Jeff, uh, sound like that. And uh, appreciate uh, that uh, from the other side of the room there. Anthony agrees it's a totally unbiblical phrase and should never be used. Ramona uh, says, uh, no, we shouldn't use that expression and chris uh answers uh this cliche or this problem with the cliche is this is a denominational phrase that does not accurately reflect how we become a christian so no we should not use this phrase i cannot find this phrase anywhere in the bible right on chris number seven moving quickly number seven do you accept jesus as your personal lord and savior christian piat the blogger we're studying uh, his blog tonight he says this is a, a cliche expression a worn-out, trite statement that should not be used. 
Do you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Again, he says, he goes on to say, again, this is not in the Bible. Agreed. Any, it's not found in the Bible anywhere. And for me, it goes against the whole Christ-like notion of the suffering servant. People tried to elevate Jesus to the status of Lord, but he rejected it. So why do we keep trying? Well, wait a minute. He's way off here, right? Yeah, yeah. Plus, the whole idea of Lord is so antiquated. It has no real relevance in our lives today. Be more mindful of your words and really mean what you say. Jesus is our Lord. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that I, I can't believe that, yeah. that that he said Jesus didn't allow himself to be elevated to the position of Lord. And in, in, in the day of, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, as Peter concluded his sermon, he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Yeah, uh, Anthony referenced that as well. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So he's way Why, off. Where do you, where, I don't understand that. But now, so if you strike the last part of his comment there, again, this expression is not in the Bible, and it, that's not what you do to be saved. Yes. Now, we, Jesus certainly needs to be our personal Lord and Savior. And you need to accept that. You need to accept that, but you accept that by humbly submitting to the gospel plan of salvation and doing what the scriptures say. So, All right. I think, did we get all our comments? Anthony says he really missed the boat on the Lord part of this. He claims the notion is unbiblical and outdated, not true. Acts 2.36 states that Jesus is Lord. He is right that the idea of lordship has become taboo in our culture, which is a major problem. People have no respect for authority. As for the phrase in general, it smacks of the faith-only salvation, so definitely would steer clear of it. All right. Uh, in the chat room, Dave says... I ask if they have accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior or accepted in their heart. Then I say, good, you're on your way. John 1, verse 12 says they now have the right to become the children of God. I interesting. Think that's interesting. John 12, John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So you got to believe, you got to accept him. And then you you are on your way, but you still got to comply with the conditions of salvation in order to be saved. All right, good point, Dave. And uh, Chris in Atlanta says this is another denominational phrase, but the author of the blog again has faulty logic. As a Christian, we are added to the church, and Jesus is the head of the church. That would make him Lord, wouldn't it? Yeah. Let's see. We got Anthony. We got Chris. We're good. We, we, Ramona we, agrees that we should not use that. Okay. Uh, All right. So, where are we? Uh, we got time for one more before our last Let's break. we got to squeeze it in. Uh, question, uh, the, the number eight, the cliche, this could be the end of days. Yeah. So, everybody's talking about end of time, end of days. This might be it. Yeah. He says, this is one of my favorites. We Christians love to look for signs of the end of the world. We pr- practically have an apocalyptic fetish. It's like we can't wait until everything comes to a smoldering halt so we can stand tall with that I told you so look on our faces while the non-believers beg for mercy. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome religion you've got going there. Sign me up. Very sarcastic. but And it's and he basically discounts the fact that the earth is going to come to a smoldering halt. Yeah, but Jesus said that it, we can't predict that yeah. time. Paul wrote in uh, in 1 Thessalonians, I get my Bible here, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Yourselves know perfectly, verse 2, that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh on them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. That day should overtake you as a thief. 
In other words, it, Jesus is coming as a thief in the night. We're, and a thief in the night does not give advance notice. We've talked about the end of time yeah. kind of things on the virtual Bible study. Uh, it's fruitless to try and predict them. And so that would be a meaningless expression to stop using. Well, okay, Anthony says, I agree. We don't think we know when the end is and therefore should be very careful if we use this phrase. Um, and uh, Ramona says, uh, we do not know when the Lord will come. And Chris says, uh, this phrase is accurate. And I agree with Chris. It could be the end, or it may be 10 million years from now. Who knows? Only God. And so this could be the end of days. And, and uh, you, if you're going to use it in that way to say that this could be the, near, uh, this could be the, uh, the last day, we ought to be prepared okay. for it. We need to live our lives like it could be the last day the earth stands. Then I would agree that... Uh, with that, but I think uh, the the author here is using it in a way that would be looking for signs or you know, yeah. indications that, uh, that that the Lord is coming. Again. I think that's right. Okay, let's take our last break. Then we got to hurry on and try to get four or five more of these cliches covered. All right, uh, we'd like your thoughts at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Don't go anywhere. We we'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're trying to be like a church you read about in the Bible, and we're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return for the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 92% of households in America own at least one copy of the Bible. Of those households that own a Bible, the average number of Bibles is three. Yet only 16% of Americans say that they read the Bible every day. 21% say they read it weekly. 12% say they read the Bible monthly. 10% say less than monthly, and 41% say they rarely or never read the Bible. That data is via the Religious and Social Trends Survey by Gallup. The Word of God says in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight. We will remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, we welcome you to come and visit with us. And, uh, well, the blogger here that we're talking about tonight would say don't do that. But we are going to welcome you to come and worship with us. Anytime you'd have the opportunity, find out more about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We encourage you to come and be a part of our worship services. We're talking about cliches that Christians should not use, that should be avoided. All right, and the bloggers, Christian Piot, in our update today, we sent you a link to his blog site. Uh, number nine on his list, Jesus died for your sins. He says that's a cliche. That's a, that's not a cliche. That's a true statement. I don't, I don't understand. He says, I know this is an all-time Christian favorite, but even if you buy into the concept of substitutionary atonement, the idea that God set up set Jesus up as a sacrifice to make good for all the bad stuff we've done. I mean, what do you mean if you buy into that? I mean, I don't think I would say it that way, but Jesus certainly was made an atoning sacrifice yeah, I, I for don't, I mean, If you don't accept this, then you can't, I don't know how you could claim to be a Christian. Yeah, he says, this is an abysmal way to introduce your faith to someone. I didn't ask Jesus to die for me, and if I'm not a Christian, I really have no concept of how that could possibly be a good thing. The whole idea of being washed clean by an innocent man's blood is enough to give any person nightmares, let alone lead them into deeper conversation about what Christianity is really about. 
I don't get that. I don't get that. Ultimately, every sinner has to learn that Jesus died for their sins. And so that's not cliche, and that definitely has to be said. Yeah. So I think he's way off base on that one. All right, uh, and uh, Anthony would agree. This sure seems like a true and biblical statement to me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Hebrews 9, 24 through 28, John 1, 29. However, I partially agree that this wouldn't be the best icebreaker. It cert- would certainly come up fairly early on in a Bible study, though. Yeah. Uh, Ramona says, yes, she thinks it's a good expression. Chris said, this is a great phrase and should be used. I just can't understand this writer's logic in some of his statements. This is a true statement, and it's a powerful statement. I agree, Chris. All, all right. right. Well, that one's easy. Both pass quickly uh, beyond crazy. that. That's crazy. Number 10, will all of our visitors please stand? I guess that's something that some religious groups do in their assemblies. I've never seen it. No, I I wouldn't like it if I was a visitor. No, I think that probably would be a a, a thing to quit altogether. He says, if someone is finally brave enough to walk through the doors of your church, the last thing they want to do is be singled out. They probably don't know the songs you're singing or the prayers or responsive readings you're reading. Depending on the translation of the Bible you use, the scripture may not make much sense, and they probably have no idea where the bathroom is. So why add to the discomfort by making them stand so everyone can stare at them? Yeah. Also, calling someone a visitor already implies that you're simply passing. They are simply passing through; that they're not part of things. Instead of visitor or guest, try something less loaded, like newcomer. Better yet, walk up to them, introduce yourself, and learn their name. I, I wouldn't disagree. I, I, I would agree that I think that'd be a foolish thing to ask visitors to stand up to single them out. And I do agree that a more personal greeting. Uh, on a one-on-one level is much to be preferred. I, I don't have much disagreement with what he said. And uh, we should uh, work on being visitor-friendly. My wife and I visited a congregation recently, and uh, we both left there concluding that it is good to be a visitor every now and then so you know how it feels and how you should treat visitors uh, when they worship with you. And uh, we should think about that and then be friendly and uh, and courteous to our visitors. Yeah, Uh Anthony, an email says, on the face of it, I'm not sure why anyone would say this in an assembly, and I would agree we shouldn't do this. Uh, Ramona says, when I'm a visitor, I don't like this, but then I'm shy. I think most visitors are shy. Yeah, right. And Chris said, this is not necess- this is not necessarily a bad thing. It should be a judgment call. I do agree with him that we should make an effort to seek out our visitors and introduce ourselves to them. Well, usually you don't have to have them stand up to know that they're a visitor. Hopefully yeah. you know the people that you worship with yeah. well enough to know that, well, I, that, that person is uh, not the typical person. Okay, we're, we're closing in on uh, our both time and the uh, and where we want to get on our list, Jacob. Let's move on to... The, the next one, number 11, love the sinner, hate the sin. Uh, he says, this is a backhanded way to so- tell someone you love them at best. At best, it's a backhanded way to tell someone you love them. It also ignores the command by Jesus not to focus on the splinter in your neighbor's eye while a plank remains in your own. Bottom line, we all screw up and naming other sins as noteworthy while remaining silent about your own is arrogant. I don't think that necessarily... That, that doesn't necessarily follow. You know, to, to make the statement that we should love the sinner but hate the sin, that that doesn't mean I'm ignoring my own sin. Yeah, I think it's a, a round-about way to, for him to say you shouldn't condemn someone. Yeah, which, he, I, I get the impression he doesn't want us identifying sin right, at all. Right. And we have to identify sin for sure. All right. Uh, uh, Anthony says... I think the author's missing the boat totally on this one. His comments confuse hypocritical judgment, which is a major problem, with the biblical mandate that we, like God, despise sin, even in our own lives, even in our own lives, even more than others. 
and that we truly love people despite their sin. I, I think you're right, Anthony. All right. Uh, and uh, Ramona says she tries to say this. So uh, Ramona would disagree with the, the blogger. And uh, Chris says he is wrong. This is an accurate phrase, and he butchers the meaning of Luke 6, verse 42. Many people use this logic as an excuse not to confront an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, Jeff's, Jeff on our board is Jeff, working uh, in the comments. chat room. What, what did you say there, Jeff? I said uh, we shouldn't have a hypocritical view of it, but the message is good. Yeah, it's a good message that God loves sinners, right? That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Dave in the chat room says, we love every, true, we love everyone but hate sin. However, I would not say that to someone. I love you, but I hate your sin under most circumstances. Dave's probably right about that. In other words, it's a, it's a right concept, uh, but... To, and I, I don't mind saying it as a general concept, yeah. but to go up to you and say, I love you, but I hate your sin on a one-to-one personal right, basis, yeah, probably would, that would probably be counterproductive. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the only time that I've ever used it or ever heard it used is when someone jumps on you for saying that you, you're condemning a sin. In other words, it say, went, you're being uh, hateful and you're being judgmental. For, no. For instance, when we've talked about homosexuality right, on the right, virtual Bible yeah. study, people say, well, you, you, you just... You're a you you hate you hate you're an ugly hom- hateful you person. hate homosexuals don't right. you? No, we love we love all people or at least we're commanded to and try to, but we hate that sin and all yeah. sins. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Dave says true. We love everyone but hate sin. However, okay, yeah, we yeah, yeah, just covered that. Okay. okay. Quickly moving on to uh, number twelve. Here's the cliche. Now again. If you're just joining us late here on the Virtual Bible Study, we're dealing with about 29 cliche expressions. This blogger, Christian Piot, who got some national attention this week, he listed ultimately 29 cliches that he thinks Christians should never use. We're analyzing whether they're good, bad, or indifferent expressions. Here's here's one. He says, this is a cliche expression. The Bible clearly says. Mm-hmm. Now, i got to say, I've heard people say that, and and what they're trying to do is Try to prove their case without proving their case. They don't know the Bible verses. They don't. They can't make a scriptural argument. Well, everybody knows that the Bible clearly says. Yeah. Well, show me where. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, so that would be fair to say. Don't just say the Bible teaches it. Show me where the Bible teaches that. Yeah. Right? When you say that something is clear, but clearly says, usually you're trying to cover up for a lack of, uh, of that you argument. can't find it. Right. Yeah. But but that's not what he means. Yeah. Notice his explanation. He says two points on this one. First, unless you're a biblical scholar who knows the historical and cultural context of the scriptures and can read them in their original languages, the Bible isn't clear about much. Wrong. That's crazy. I don't have to read. That, that the, may be the why he doesn't know that Jesus died for our sins. Yeah. 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 I, I don't have to read the text in the original languages. It And the scripture is clear. It's understandable. In fact, we're commanded to understand it. Uh, I disagree. The Bible is clear on all things. Uh, some are more difficult topics. Some are more difficult concepts. But the Bible is not a difficult book. Yeah. It's very clear. He says, yes, we can pick and choose verses that say one thing or another. But by whom was it originally said and to whom? Cherry picking scripture to make a point is called proof texting. And it's a theological no-no. Second, the Bible can be used to make nearly any point we care to. For example, you want to try and justify slavery? So let's not use it as a bully cl- billy club against each other. Well, the scripture can be misused. There's no doubt about that. The apostle Peter talked about that. He talked about those who rest the scriptures. That is, they twist things around. And he says it leads to their own destruction. In Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 16, he says there are some things hard to be understood in the writings of the apostle Paul. 
which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures to their own destruction. So you can misuse the scriptures for sure, but that does not mean uh, that uh, we, we can't prove anything. That's right. Anthony says, way off base on this one. The Bible isn't clear on much, question mark. If we can't understand what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians 5:17, then it is every man for himself, and we're all just free to make up our own ways to heaven. We should at the same time be prudent about when we say the Bible is clear. Some topics and verses aren't as transparent as others. We shouldn't give the impression that everywhere the Bible is so clear and simple that a fifth grader could understand it because that's not the case. But Anthony is correct. If we uh, throw out the Bible as being understandable, then it is every man for himself, and we will be as twisted up in our beliefs as this blogger is, as he goes on and later on in some of his other cliches, as we'll talk about next week, Lord willing, to basically say... You know, there's no way to say who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, yeah. He, that's his, that. That's clear. That's his view. That it's yeah. just impossible to say. Yeah. Jacob, uh, I hate to back up, but we missed a comment. Uh, Jason, Jason in Pennsylvania. He, uh, he is in Pennsylvania. And, and he had commented on that love the sinner, hate the yeah, sin. Yeah, sorry, he, Jason. Uh, he says uh, we're told to love enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We should love these people and hate the wicked things they do. But this, when this cliche is used in reference to God, I think it's unbiblical. The Bible teaches that God not only hates sins but also hates, but also sinners. And there are some such expressions. I think the emphasis is on he hates sinners in their sin. But even the the most vile sinner, God loved enough to send His own Son to be a sacrifice for their sins. So. Sorry we didn't get to incorporate Jason's comment. All right, and uh, we, there was another comment in the chat room along those lines. Guest 78 says, God hates sin, so should we. God loves the sinner, and so should we. That is homosexual. He, uh, he or she uh, uses, for example, homosexuality and homosexuals. And that is true. God hates sin, and that uh, God hate, loves the sinner. And so if we have the same attitude that we love sinners, but we hate the sins that they're engaged in, then that is a biblical and godly attitude, one that we should uh, strive for in our lives. Uh, on this one that we're dealing with right now, uh, the Bible clearly says so. Dave says the Bible clearly says many things. But to, to say to someone the Bible clearly says suggests that they should have known better. So maybe, that, in other words, uh, don't don't be condescending when you're talking to people. Uh, if, if that's what you're using the expression for, then I'd agree with Dave that we shouldn't use it. Okay. Real quickly, let's get one more. Uh, we're going to come up a little bit short. God needed another angel in heaven, so he called him home. He says, this is another well-meaning but insensitive thing to say. This assumes a lot about what the person you're speaking to believes, and it also ignores the grief they're going through. The person who died is, well, dead. Focus on the needs of the living right in front of you. Well, uh, that's a phony expression. Again, it assumes, like the one we talked about earlier, he's in a better place. We don't know that. And that we become angels. And we don't become angels when we die anyway. So uh, uh, that, that's just uh, that's off base. Uh, Anthony agrees. He says way off base on. Uh, oh, wait a minute. It's totally unbiblical. Unbiblical. He says unbiblical. Yeah. Uh, Ramona says uh, don't say that. And Chris said, uh, let me get my page turned here. Yeah. He, yeah. I'm in the same boat. He said that we should not use this phrase. We are not and will not be angels. All right, well, we're out of time. We got 13 done. That means there's 16 still to go, Jacob. So, Lord willing, we'll try to conclude the list next week. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll repost it to our update list next week. The 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 ones that remain. The ones that remain, 
and we'll try to continue. Again, uh, look at your update from today, and you can see the blog itself. You can go to, the, to Christian Piat's blog site and see it for yourself. Uh, I, I think that this does. Going back to something that Anthony said in the chat room at the very start of our discussion. Yeah, it's off the screen. It's off the screen now, but uh, this is the this is what we've come to in the modern world. Anybody with a computer can make a blog and get attention. And this guy's many of his concepts are really not thought out. No. So maybe you learned some cliches you should use tonight. Yeah. Some of them we said were good. Yeah. All right. right. Good good discussion tonight and. Uh, I appreciate all of our comments in the chat room that did help the discussion and our email respondents as well. Uh, that helps our discussion as usual. And, Dad, uh, thank you. And all right. Lord willing, well, next week seven, we'll start the eighth year yeah, of the Virgin Bus Day. Thank you for seven years of the program. Thank you. And, uh, Jeff, thank you for helping us tonight. Glad to have you here. And thank you for being on the other end of the line. And if you are listening to us, maybe you listened to that first program seven years ago. Send us an email and let us know. Maybe you just now found us. Send an email and let us know. You don't have to have a question or comment. Uh, we'd just like to hear from you if you're listening. Tell us who you are, where you're listening from, and uh, and that would be an encouragement to us. If you disagree with us, we'd also like to hear from you at any time. Maybe you hear something on a program we did seven years ago, and you think it was outrageous and unbiblical, unscriptural, and that we needed to, to hear otherwise. Why don't you let us know? We'd love to hear from you at any time. Uh, send us an email or give us a call and let us know your thoughts. So we hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.